Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by J.J. Zacharyson, the editor-in-chief of FanDuel and Number Fire. J.J. comes out with, I would say, my favorite piece of fantasy football analysis heading into the season, the 15 bold predictions. We talked about it last year. Uh, the people, the people seem to like it. So I, I got him back here and I don't know, are these more bold or less bold than your normal boldness on these predictions? What would you say? Um, I mean, some of them are definitely not super bold. There's one that's like not bold at all, but it's just bold <laughs> to like a, a, a subset of people uh, that we might get to. Uh, but that's, that's sort of how you can like, you know, as, as a writer and as an analyst, you can get away with, uh, you know, not having necessarily the boldest takes in, in an article like this is by sort of just taking a, a large subset of people and their beliefs and playing into that a little bit. Um, because you, you know that there's a group of people who will think that it's bold. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, some of them are definitely bold. I think some are not that surprising. Uh, and I think that a lot of people can see, you know, some of these coming to fruition, which is kind of the point, though, of the bold predictions piece and, and how I've approached these articles every year is that I'm not here to just throw stuff at a wall and just say, Hey, this is fun. I'm going to get really, really crazy about this. It's more so, you know, I want to be logical and rational about these takes in order to bring them together and have very reasonable, bold predictions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's the part that I mess up just because, you know, you want to be bold, right? So you want to come out with one of these things, but if it's not really a pr- prediction, then what's the point, right? I mean, we can all just come up with a, with a hot take basically. Right. Uh, but then if it has no chance, I mean, if, if you would never even think about betting on it, it, it happening uh, without the extremely long odds, then what's the point of talking about it? Okay. So exactly. before we get, before we get these predictions, uh, fantasy relevant news, it's, this is being taped on Tuesday morning. So we don't quite know the details behind everything, but Travis Etienne. Liz, the, the dreaded Liz Frank injury, which it sounds like could be anything from a sprain, which will keep him out a couple of weeks, may affect his play. And then if it takes surgery out for the entire year. So how are you digesting this news right now? And I guess specifically looking at the rest of that backfield in Jacksonville. Yeah, man, Liz Frank, the most hated uh, woman in all of, of fantasy football. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, a, it's an injury that, um, you know, players have definitely... It, it has lingered for some guys in the past. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing I will say is there's a lot of reaction in the fantasy space right now of uh, uh, people assuming that Travis Etienne's season is over. And that, I mean, you know, th- I feel like what's going on right now is similar to what happened when Carson Wentz got hurt and the reaction that we had with Jonathan Taylor, where, look, Jonathan Taylor is still going to see, uh, you know, was, was still going to see a lot of work regardless. Should he have seen a, a, a decrease in ADP and where you're drafting him? Yes, of course. But, you know, people were essentially saying, oh, I'm not drafting Jonathan Taylor because Carson Wentz is out. Well, Carson Wentz wasn't going to be out for the entirety of the season. You know, he was going to hopefully come back on the early, early end of that timetable, which he looks like he's going to. Um, and, and hopefully that's the case with Travis Etienne. There's been speculation from Twitter doctors that this could be like a, uh, you know, if it's a grade one or, or even a grade two um, injury, then, you know, he could be back as early as like week five or something like, you know, week four, and he could be back even sooner than that, but they'll probably want to slow play it a little bit. And so the way that I view this sort of is, you know, am I going to draft James Robinson? Probably not given where the ADP is likely going to rise. I've already had multiple people in my mentions since this injury happened saying that they're going to draft James Robinson as a top 15 running back. And I just, I can't get behind that because, you know, number one, we don't even know for sure if that's a likely outcome for him, even if Travis Etienne weren't in that backfield. Number two, Travis Etienne is likely, I would say likely at this point. I mean, there's obviously a chance that he's not back at all this year. 
Um, but Travis Etienne will likely be back at some point this year. And at the very least, even if, if ETN isn't the fantasy producer that I thought he might be, or that others might, might've thought that he would be, even if he's not that he's still going to hurt James Robinson in some way and hurt that ceiling, especially as a receiver. So look, I was a James Robinson guy last year, really liked him. And I, I still think he's a very good running back. He's sort of like the, the AFC's Chris Carson. Um, but, but I, I just don't know if this is an offense that you want to heavily invest into the point where you're drafting a, a running back in that offense in the top 15. Now I understand last year, James Robinson was in a bad situation in a bad offense and he was a top 10 running back. Totally understand that, but you also can't bank on the kind of usage that he was seeing last year. He was pacing, you know, before he got hurt, he was pacing to have the highest running back rush year that we've really seen over the last decade. Uh, you, you just can't, you can't bank on something like that. So, um, you know, I think generally this just, is going to make me still not be drafting James Robinson all that much. Maybe that'll be a mistake at the end of the day. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that Travis Etienne is able to, to at least come back at some point uh, mid season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit with one of your bold predictions uh, related to Trey Sermon, I believe, and some other guys who kind of fall into the same category. I mean, the way I think about some of these, these guys and specifically like the James Robinson types, I mean, it's all about, cost and like your opportunity cost and where, where how you feel about them if you're not if you're not switching your opinion on whether or not to draft a player as their ADP moves around and things like that then you're just getting like locked into right. having a take on a particular player so yeah you can like James Robson at one cost and then say here clearly that, that I'm out on him so I, I agree with you there all right let's dive into the the bold the bold stuff here the good the goodness here of the of the 15 bold predictions and your number one uh, prediction here for the 2021 season is that Trey Lance, San Francisco's 49ers rookie, which we don't know if he'll start week one yet or not at, at this point, but he will finish as a top five quarterback in points per game. So first I want to give you credit by throwing sling sliding points per game in there. Do we have a minimum threshold of this points yeah. per game? Like if like if he starts the last, the last game of the season, Patrick Mahomes style, can, can you mark that up as, as a victory if he comes in the top five there? I mean, I'm taking the W if that happens. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, look, give me the case. Give me the give me give me the, the the shortened case, and then we'll go into some of the stuff around these rookie quarterbacks and rushing and all that all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, look. The bottom line is, in fantasy football these days, you need quarterbacks to uh, bring that rushing component. So, I mean, look. Of course, there are going to be quarterbacks who don't run the football effectively or in volume uh, that, that, that catapult themselves into the top five, top 10. Last year, we saw it with Aaron Rodgers. We saw it with Tom Brady to a degree last year. He was like a fringe top 10 guy. Um, But when you see those things happen, you have to look at their statistics and realize that, you know, Aaron Rodgers did it last year uh, on the second highest touchdown rate of all time. Right. Uh, And he had the most touchdowns we've ever seen from within the goal line. Uh, Tom Brady last year, throws 40 touchdown passes, has the third highest touchdown rate of his career. And he was still like top 10, top 11. He was, he was QB 10 in points per game. If you don't include Dak Prescott, he was QB 11. If you do include Dak Prescott. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that the reason why those guys aren't, uh, you know, top five guys, despite the fact that they're throwing for 40 plus touchdowns is because they're not mobile enough. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has some mobility, but not to the degree of like a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think that with Trey Lance and Justin Fields, too, you could bucket him there as well. Uh, they, they both bring that component. I mean, Trey Lance uh, in his really only college season where he was starter, uh, you know, he rushes for 1,100 yards. We know that he can bring that, that athleticism and mobility to the position. Justin Fields, we've already seen it in the preseason, uh, but he's also, he also ran a 4 4 at his pro day. You know, even if that's, 
inflated a little bit because it's his pro day. And we know he's very, very fast and we know that he's very mobile and capable. Um, and so it's not hard, I think, in, in a world and in an era where, you know, you have sort of these haves and haves nots, uh, have nots in the, at the quarterback position uh, where a handful of them, let's say eight or nine of them, are really can, can depend on the the rushing floor for their uh, weekly output. And you can even throw like a Jalen Hurts in there. I mean, Jalen Hurts last year scored like 23 fantasy points per game, and he was one of the worst clean pocket passers in the league. Um, and so, you know, he's another guy who, even if he improves even a little bit through the air, then all of a sudden you can see how he has a top five ceiling. Um, and I, I just see that with Trey Lance where, you know, Lance versus Fields, you know, I think you can make the same exact argument that I'm making for Lance with Justin Fields. I just think that Lance is set up in a better spot than Fields is given offensive line, given uh, offensive scheme and coordinator and, and uh, coaching staff, given the, the weapons that they have there. Um, and so you, just, you can feel just a little bit more confident in Lance than in Justin Fields. Um, and so I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's very possible that on a points per game basis, we see Trey Lance just be a top five quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I like all of that. I think the comparison with Fields is interesting. Maybe I'll get get into that a little bit more later. So my, my thing with the, did you contemplate like top seven as opposed to top five only because, okay, so we have Patrick Mahomes, right? So he's not the biggest rushing quarterback, but but he's up there. But, you know, there are a lot of dudes who run the ball a lot, right, this yeah. year who are, who are vets. And you got to assume that rookie quarterbacks – it can happen, right? You can have a you can have a, a Deshaun Watson abbreviated season. You can have a Dak Prescott season. You can have one of these high efficient efficiency passing seasons. But generally, you're hoping to get home here with, with the running. So you have you know Josh Allen who's going to run a ton. Lamar Jackson obviously, uh, Kyler who's up there, right? And then you add Mahomes, so that's already four guys who are pretty high up there. You know you got Dak Prescott and others who doesn't run a ton, but at least adds a little something there. So it's getting a little crowded up near the top. So I guess that would be my question when we're talking about like top five, is that realistic or did you think about maybe, you know, that's like, like who is he going to replace to get up into that, into that range? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really valid. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't be drafting him above those guys. You could even maybe yeah. even throw Russ, Russ in there. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so, so, I mean, you have like a, a, a big six this year, um, which is why this was bold. Right. Like I, yeah. like, at this point, Trey Lance is being drafted in like more, uh, more hardcore drafts, uh, you know, whether it's a best ball or, or a high stakes draft, he's being drafted closer to like QB 10. Right. So right. Yeah. when I, and, and that only is, is rising and rising and rising. And so, um, you know, I had to be at least somewhat bold as, as opposed to saying like, Oh, he'll be a top eight quarterback in points per game. Well, that's not really that far off from his ADP. Yeah. Um, and so, and I mean, there's, there's a couple in here where, uh, I, I did do that where it wasn't that, that far off from their ADP, but even still, um, you know, injuries can happen too. I mean, like, do we count Dak Prescott's year last year from a points per game standpoint? You know, I already mentioned the Tom Brady thing earlier. Like is yeah. was Tom Brady QB 10 or QB 11 last year? We don't know. I mean, injuries will happen. Uh, and, and, you know, not only that, but when an injury happens mid game for a quarterback, uh, then they're, they're being credited for a game. Right. But then their, their point scored is like seven because they got hurt mid game. And then that brings down their average. So like there, there are funky things like that, that can happen, but I will admit that Trey Lance's high range of outcomes, his absolute ceiling is probably around QB five, uh, you know, in points per game, because you need one of those other things to likely happen to those other quarterbacks. I would agree with you totally. 
Okay. Okay. So I guess for Lance, we will, I'll throw Fields into this bucket too. So how do you approach him in drafts then? Because I mean, like you, you, you I think maybe you had mentioned this. Um, so someone, someone uh, sent, uh, tweeted out about the fact that in these ADP discussions, it gets a little muddy sometimes because we don't really know what we're talking about. Are we talking about these, you know, best ball drafts where you have degenerates who've been doing this since February who are, or all the time, or are we talking about in your home league where you're going to step in and guys are going to be priced all over the place. I mean, I'm looking at some data, I have some best ball stuff from um, FFPC. Uh, and it looks like, I think Lance here is like QB 13 and then Jalen Hurts 14, Justin Fields 15. So the, those Lance and Fields, those guys, you don't really even know when necessarily they're going to be starting. Can you draft them as your first quarterback and then build around them? Is, is that is that the best strategy to go for now? Or do you think maybe you even want to look to take them as a second quarterback? Because it seems a little early, I guess, if you're going to be loading it on quarterback, especially for the, the late round quarterback. Yeah, look, I, I would say that it depends, right? Like if you're if you're in your draft uh, and, and you get you just happen to get one of the elite guys because they dropped or something like that. Because what we saw last year, uh, and it was kind of predictive going into the season. Like I was drafting quarterbacks earlier last year because we finally had this market uh, that seemed efficient at the quarterback position because people were finally valuing rushing the way they should value rushing. And what we yeah. saw between if you look at top twenty four quarterbacks over the last decade, and you look at preseason expectation or ADP versus postseason result and you look at the the r squared value between the two among top 24 quarterbacks i mean back in 2015 2016 the r squared was literally non-existent it was basically zero last year it jumped up to a to a relatively decent i mean for football terms and fantasy football terms relatively decent correlation um and, and that tells you that that it was efficient last year but it also tells you that we're going that we are currently better at predicting or at least last year we were better at predicting quarterback performance in terms of preseason ADP and postseason result. And so and a big reason for that is if, if you look at year over year correlation at touchdown rate, uh, that fluctuates a lot, as you know. Uh, but if you look at rushing yards per game, that doesn't fluctuate really whatsoever. We know who these rushers are going to be. And so going into the season, what that tells you is there are quarterbacks that are going to likely separate themselves compared to the rest of the position. So it's easier to go and get those guys. And so if you think that Trey Lance or Justin Fields can be that guy, that separator because of their rushing, which I think, you know, we just talked about, they can be, uh, I, I don't think it's that far fetched. If you, let's say that you get an elite quarterback and you're able to get a Justin Fields or Trey Lance for really, really cheap in your home league. I think it's okay to roster two quarterbacks, even in that scenario, because there is a shortage of quarterbacks who can, actually give you that kind of ceiling right now in fantasy football i think it's going to change very quickly faster than probably what the market does you know if you're in like a startup draft or something we're going to see way more of these mobile quarterbacks entering the league even if like three of the guys hit this year like if if trevor lawrence justin fields and trey lance all hit then all of a sudden next year we have like 11 to 12 quarterbacks who could be viable qb1 overalls in fantasy football um, and so, you know, eventually this is going to shift a little bit, but this year in particular, I think it's okay to, you know, if, if you land one of those elite guys because they fall in drafts a little bit, if you get a Ryan Tannehill or a Jalen Hurts, what have you, and then you can roster a second quarterback, which is something that I have not done historically, but I think it makes more sense this year because those guys actually are separating themselves or have the chance to separate themselves more than like Baker Mayfield does. Like the chance that Baker Mayfield is a top six quarterback in fantasy football is very, very slim, even like Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan, right? Um, whereas those guys actually have that ability. And so they actually have value. They have more trade value and value in general than they would have otherwise had in, in other seasons. So 
Um, so to answer your question more directly, I would say that, you know, you have to obviously like see what's going on in your draft and see how, how cost effective they would end up being. If I get them as my QB one, I'll find a QB two that, you know, has a decent early season schedule. I mean, Jalen hurts the first like eight weeks of the season, uh, Philly has a pretty good schedule. So if you want to get like a hurts, if he is going to be a, a low end QB one, high end QB two in your draft, go ahead and get hurts, pair him with one of those guys. And if hurts struggles, you know, you know, one of those guys is going to eventually step in and be starter. Um, and, and usually those rookie quarterbacks step in far sooner than we expect, uh, like every yeah. single year, whether it's like Justin Herbert, Daniel Jones, you know, it's just, it happens every single season. I think that we become a little bit too overconfident and confident that, you know, a Patrick Mahomes season is going to happen for these rookie quarterbacks. But let's not forget, Alex Smith was very, very good the year that Patrick Mahomes was, was sitting on the bench, right? I don't think that yeah. we should feel that confident about Andy Dalton and Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Chiefs team was, did really well to start that season. Um, got talk about these degenerate early season best ball drafts. I remember when I was drafting in February and March, I mean, you were just scooping these dudes up in the QB 20, you know, yeah. 20, 24, 25, this and that, which it's just like, did they think they were going to die before the season started? Like we knew they were going to be first round guys. We knew that uh, they were going to run it, but, uh, but anyway, all right. So let's, let's, let's get to uh, prediction number two here, which is, okay. We, we kind of mentioned this, this is in the same vein here. Tom Brady will finish outside the top 12. Now you said he was, you know, he's scraping by as a top 10 guy. So he's outside the top 12 right now. And why this is relevant is despite the, the case you heard here, um, he's still top 10 looks like ish yeah. sort of guy. He's, he's falling right in there, maybe around a Herbert or Stafford, uh, depending upon the, the drafts that you're in. So we're outside the, the top 12. And is this just purely like the flip side of the equation that we were talking about here with, with Lance and Fields? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think it's that insane to say that Tom Brady should be ranked outside the top 12 this year. Like, it, it, like, do I have it that way? No, I think I have him at like QB 10 or something, QB 11 or something like that. But like, there's just this subset of people who think that Tom Brady number one was like unbelievable in fantasy last year, which he was a lot better down the stretch, but they also had a pretty cakey schedule. Um, but there's this subset of people who are going to, you know, come, come at me with pitchforks by saying that he's not gonna be a top 12 quarterback when, I mean, like that should almost be expectations. So this is one of those ones. that's just a little bit cheap because last year, again, third highest touchdown rate of his career that usually regresses to the mean. Uh, third highest touchdown rate of his career, 40 touchdown passes in total. He was the QB 10, QB 11 in points per game. Depends if you count Dak Prescott or not. It's not that crazy to say he's not going to finish as a top 12 quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom Brady, no longer the goat. Sorry guys. We've, we've, uh, we've, we've downgraded him here. Okay. So number three, and this is, I, I hinted at this one, we were talking about, uh, James Robinson, and this would be Trey Sermon will outscore both Miles Gaskin and Mike Davis. You want to throw James Robinson in there? Should we should we add James Robinson to, to the mix? I can't and throw James Robinson in there. I can't throw James <laughs> Robinson. Can't. Okay. All right. So uh you know, third round rookie. So he's a little bit later. And you have something about Javante Williams a little bit later. Maybe we'll we'll combine these two also, because I feel like it's a pretty similar case for these for these two guys. Um well, what is the case? Because when you look at uh, let's talk about Mike Davis first, because I think he's the guy who's going the earliest of, of all these different guys. Uh, look, I mean, you know, when you project out, right, you project out players because you kind of have to. And it's very difficult to say how these these shares are going to shift. Like, are you giving major shares to, you know, Quadra Allison? Are you giving major shares to, I don't know, who, who's going to 
Dante yeah. Foreman or someone's going to come in there. Like, who are you giving share to if not to Mike Davis? And that's one of the problems I think when people are thinking about this in their head, right? Yeah. Look, I know that you're a Deontay Foreman truther, so don't, don't even start with Deontay Foreman. I know. Right? I, I, I really hope that he comes that he comes back. He has had a great injury slash uh, being prepared for the NFL start to his career, yes. but you never know. The, the coach did bring him over, though, right? He has some exposure right. to uh, to Arthur Smith. So go ahead. Yeah. So I mean, here's the thing with Mike Davis. Uh, he's someone who's going to project out fairly well because of the competition that you just noted. But I think a lot. A lot of times in fantasy football, we become overconfident in looking at situation and not necessarily the player himself. Do I think Davis is good? And like, if we were building a team, would we care if Mike Davis was our like bell cow back? Probably not. It doesn't matter enough. Right. But we know that teams will try to put the most talented running back on the field all the time. Uh, And we also have evidence of Mike Davis not being a bell cow back. I mean, last year was the first time that he saw 160, he had 165 carries. That was a career high. He had his career high in, in in receptions. And while I, I understand that he is not a bad pass catcher, I, I don't feel confident enough that this coaching staff is just going to naturally give him like a, you know, a, a 12 or 13% target share. So, um, you know, you can look at the competition and say, there's no competition, but you also have to look at Mike Davis himself and say, why is he a 28 year old journeyman running back? And how often do we see these guys hit in fantasy football? And the answer to that is they don't hit very often. I mean, the guys who have hit at that age and have given you 200 plus PPR points, they're generally players who had very high draft capital. So they were around the league for a while because they're talented probably, right? Uh, Or they're pass catching specialists. Now, again, Mike Davis caught a lot of passes last year. He can catch passes, but by pass catching specialists, I'm talking like Darren Sproles and Brian Westbrook and guys who are like historically good at being a receiver out of the backfield. Those are the guys who are really hitting at 28 years old. Maybe Mike Davis bucks a trend. Maybe I'm completely wrong on Mike Davis this year. I'm okay missing on that because I think that from a process standpoint, it makes total sense. Because look, look at what happened with Todd Gurley last year, right? Gurley's a perfect example in this exact same offense where, you know, he appeared to be the best running back in that backfield by far. He was like a third round draft pick. Um, and he started losing snaps to Edo Smith at the end of the year. Edo Smith just got cut. Like, Edo Smith's yeah. not even on a team right now, right? So uh, I, I'm just not very high on Mike Davis because of Davis himself. Miles Gaskin, uh, we already have seen. I mean, the the, the argument, the, the, the con argument for Miles Gaskin is that it's a split backfield, period. I mean, I understand the ceiling. I think that Gaskin is, is a fine running back. Um, but I also think that there's hesitation because – uh, you know, they're bringing Malcolm Brown. They're using him. Savon Ahmed's in that backfield. And don't forget when Savon Ahmed got the chance last year, he was just as productive as Miles Gaskin was, which could tell you more about situation than Gaskin himself. So I don't mind Gaskin necessarily when he falls uh, pretty dramatically in drafts. You know, I've gotten him because there, there, you can, it's not hard to find 11 other people who just don't like Miles Gaskin. So, um, you know, if he falls far enough, it's fine, but I'm looking at range of outcomes with these bold predictions. It's not hard to imagine Miles Gaskin not having a very relevant fantasy season. So we move on then to Trey Sermon himself. Uh, as a prospect, I thought he was fine. Um, I, I, you know, my, my model didn't necessarily love him because he's very production focused and he didn't have the best production in college. Uh, but the draft capital was relatively there. He was still a day two pick falls to a spot in San Francisco that uh, has been one of the best places for running backs as a team uh, over the last couple of years. I shouldn't say individual running backs, of course, because they haven't had their bell cows. Um, but there's also uh, something that I, I dubbed uh, this offseason. It's the, the worst uh, name for a fantasy football theory that anyone's ever heard. But 
It's called the ambiguous RB1 theory. And what the ambiguous RB1 theory states is that if you look at middle round running backs, I'll just read what it states. It's probably easier. When you're looking at it, when you're looking for ambiguous backfields to target, which we know is a way to find league winning players, you should be attacking middle round team RB1s who have teammates who are also being selected in the middle rounds. So essentially what that means is if you're in rounds six through nine, the middle rounds of your draft, and you have two running backs who are being drafted from the same team, the RB1s by ADP on those teams have hit at a dramatically better rate than the RB2s. I'm talking like, like there's been like, I mean, the sample size isn't massive, so there's some noise to this data, but the, the hit rate is like a quarter, like 25% of these RB1s have, have exceeded ADP expectation by like 100 or more points over the last decade. And so you can look across the league right now, it depends on your ADP source, of course, um, but you can look across the, the league right now. I sourced all mine from my fantasy league uh, and, and drafts that happened after August 1st. But Trey Sermon fits that. Travis Etienne fit that before he was injured. Uh, you know, Javante Williams fits that. Uh, Chase Edmonds fits that. So those are the guys who really fit this ambiguous RB1 theory. I'm not saying it's a lock just because of that alone that these guys end up exceeding and, and breaking out and exceeding expectation by a large number of points. But if you're playing probability, those are the guys you would you would want to target. And Trey Sermon fits that. Okay, so I, let's, I'm going to talk about Williams versus uh, Javante Williams versus Sermon, because I mean maybe I'm getting a little too locked in on the fact that I liked Williams so much as a prospect. I thought that he could have been, you know, you could you could make a credible argument that he was the like top running back yeah. prospect coming out. Yeah. Uh, he went, you know, at the at very early in the second round, the Broncos traded up to probably to leapfrog the Miami Dolphins and to, to get over them. Uh, supposedly it's reported that the Dolphins were going to, were going to take Williams there. Uh, Sermon is, let me see. So Sermon's draft position was 88. So, you know, you got 64 picks in the first two rounds. So he's, you know, 20 something picks into the third round. For me, that makes a big difference because like you're talking about sometimes when you substitute these running backs in, there's not that much difference in how they play. So how are we going to think about, like how locked in they are or how much of an opportunity they they will be given. And like Raheem Mostert is probably pretty similar. And those other guys there to looking at maybe Melvin Gordon, I mean, maybe Melvin Gordon's, you know, on on a different level from Raheem Mostert, but it's not, not a huge difference there. So what do you think about that for the fact that, I mean, I'm looking at ADP. It depends again, depends on where you're looking right for this sort of stuff, but these guys are, are sometimes being priced as close as almost going back to back Williams a little bit higher. I think I have seen other drafts where he's gone one, two, three rounds, earlier well, what do you think about the relative pricing on these two do you like Williams a lot more than than uh Sermon or do you think it's it's kind of a wash between those two because their similar situation is so similar I think Williams is the better draft pick I, I have him I wouldn't say significantly higher but I have him higher in my rankings I mean I think he's the better player uh you know he came out uh, b- before the draft before draft capital was inputted in my model uh Javante Williams was the best running back in my model he was better than Najee Harris and Travis Etienne now once draft capital was inputted, it, it bumped Najee Harris to RB1 and Travis Etienne RB2. Um, but yeah, Javante Williams is really good. And he's a really good pass protector too, which could allow him. I mean, whether we think that coaches utilize the idea of pass protection properly, you know, like people get afraid of like poor pass pro uh, because their running backs aren't going to be on the field on third down. Um, but it's like running backs who are on the field on third down are running routes more often than not, right? Um, So, you know, regardless of like that narrative and stuff, being good at pass pro is just important for running back to be on the field. Um, And I I think Javante Williams is very, very good. So I, the way that I would see this is that 
Trey Sermon's situation is, I would say, objectively better, uh, just from like a team personnel, uh, coaching staff, et cetera. Uh, Javante Williams, though, I think has a higher likelihood to be the bell cow in his backfield sooner. Uh, I, I don't know if Trey Sermon's just going to take over that backfield this year. I, I, I have a way, a way better feeling about Javante Williams, especially towards like the second half of the year, uh, being their bell cow than I do Trey Sermon being their bell cow, just because of the evidence we have of uh, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Um, but even still, I think Sermon, I, I think both of them are good targets in drafts because of the ambiguous RB1 theory, uh, because of the fact that they have opportunity for growth at their ADP, whereas, you know, a guy like Melvin Gordon and even Raheem Mostert to a degree, but, you know, Melvin Gordon, it's like, where, where do you think his ceiling is really going to go? You know, like, where, where is that ceiling coming from when, unless Javante Williams gets hurt, right? Um, and that's generally not how I, I, I approach drafts. So uh, my answer to that would be Javante Williams is the better player. He has a better chance to be the bell cow, which is why I have him ranked higher because volume drives everything. But I can understand why people are high on Sermon because, you know, there is room for that growth and he's in a better situation. Okay, so let's talk about the practical implications here for for a draft. So you're leapfrogging. Let's talk about Williams, I guess, since he's going to be the higher guy that you're going to have your board. So you're leapfrogging your Miles Gaskins, your Mike Davises. Uh, the next rung here with ETN falling out is going to be your Miles Sanders, Josh Jacob types. Would you would you take him above those guys? No. Oh, well, maybe, maybe you can argue Josh Jacobs because I'm not yeah. very high on Jacobs, but yeah. uh, like a Miles Sanders, no. I mean, even like a Dobbins, even though he's not going to see much receiving work, no. Yeah. So like, you know, I can make the argument for Jacobs for sure, but that's, that's the line. And, and that's why like, like, you know, you know that, that no matter what happens with Javante Williams in the preseason, unless Melvin Gordon gets hurt. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's basically where, like, this is where he's going to be drafted. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, I don't think that you can, the running back position is, is not, super shallow i mean there's there's decent players in the running back dead zone this year and it should make drafters a little bit nervous if they're sort of fading that area of the draft once again okay so next uh bold prediction here and we kind of talked about this with justin fields but you said that the fantasy football quarterback with the first name justin will be the best will be justin fields is there anything is there like a herbert angle on this or is this mostly just a fields angle I think there's a Herbert angle a little bit. I mean, towards the end of last year, uh, his touchdown rate dropped uh, towards the second half of last year, uh, regressed a little bit, maybe a little bit too far. So, you know, maybe he has sort of a sophomore slump and he's just not nearly as good as people think. I don't think that's the case, but I think it's in his range of outcomes. Uh, The one thing I will say about Justin Herbert that I'm really excited to see maybe come to fruition is I think that he has a chance. This is not arguing for this bold prediction necessarily, but I think that he has a chance to be like a Josh Allen type on the ground. Uh, and he didn't show that as much uh, in year one. He has the same like athleticism profile. So I think Josh Allen is a little bit more aggressive and yeah, does uh, he have the same more... YOLO spirit. I mean, is he going to be yeah, right, trying to hurdle right. linebackers? In, exactly. in the of the... <laughs> yeah. He's not like, yeah, he, he's not, he's not lateraling in a playoff game. When he, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I, I totally, you know, like, of course I'm not, I wouldn't say that he is Josh Allen, but I think that he at least has that in his arsenal. But then on the flip side, you know, what if things just don't click? What if he's not rushing that much or rushes similarly to last year? Uh, you know, what if his touchdown rate isn't that great? It's not hard to see because he's generally a pocket passer, right? He's generally more of like the Aaron Rodgers type where he can be mobile, even Patrick Mahomes type, but Mahomes is just so insanely efficient slash they have so much volume in that offense that doesn't matter, but he could be a, you know, he, he's, he's generally more of a pocket passer. And, and, and when that happens for those guys to really be, 
you know, top five, top 10 quarterbacks, you need them to have a really strong season and touchdown rate. And it's very easy for any quarterback to not have an above average year in touchdown rate. So from a range of outcome standpoint, yes, draft Justin Herbert before Justin Fields. That's not what I'm saying, but there's a chance where Justin Fields hits. Justin Herbert takes a little bit of a step back. And then all of a sudden, Justin Fields is a better fantasy asset. Yep. Okay. Can't, can't argue with any of that. Okay. So let's go on here to uh, Najee Harris being a top eight running back. I mean, I have trouble trying to pick in anything here. Um, I very early in the off season, I wrote an article kind of hyping him up for being rookie of the year. I think at that point, depending upon where you were betting, I don't know what he was plus 1500 or something like that. Uh, I mean, this is just volume, right? Um, but what about the offensive line, JJ? Yeah. Okay. Who's worse? Who's worse? Offensive line. What about the offensive line people or they're playing against third string in preseason, which, which replies are worse. I, I, I mean, honestly, at least the preseason thing is more is like fleeting. Uh, whereas the (laughs) offensive line thing is just like always around and like, we're going to hear about it all the time. I I mean, the bottom line is we, we see running backs in fantasy football come from bad offensive lines, PFF ranked bottom, bottom tier out. And it has nothing to do with the fact that like, a place like PFF is ranking poorly. It has not, it's just the fact that volume is what drives fantasy football, not offensive line play. Because what offensive line play is doing, yes, it'll help the entire offense. So, you know, I'm not trying to argue about the importance of offensive line here, but for a running back statistically, what it's going to do most is it's going to increase their efficiency. And we know that that yards per carry is not that important from a fantasy perspective. Um, if you look at back in 2018 with Pittsburgh, James Conner stepped in. He played 13 games. It was his breakout season. That year, in 13 games, he had a running back rush share north of 70%, and that was only in 13 games. If he had played 16, it would have been insane. But it was over 70%. He had a target share above 10%. If you look at running backs who fit that that threshold, uh, over the last 10 years, you have 39 running backs. 37 of those running backs finished as top 10 fantasy running backs. Now, if you look at this on a more of a points per game basis, because obviously, uh, you know, this is more of like attrition uh, than anything else. Uh, and the fact that these guys aren't getting hurt and that's why they're seeing such high running back rush shares and target shares. Even if you look at it, uh, look at that on a points per game basis, um, all but one of them scored more than 14 PPR points per game and 33 of the 39 scored 17 points per game, PPR points per game, which would have been RB eight last year. So that's where the RB eight, the top eight running back comes from with Najee Harris, because he's going to be a bell cow. There's no competition there. The preseason should only make you feel even better about that. He's been on the field so much. Um, and so if he gets fed, uh, I, I don't see, I, I think he's just a great value right now in general. And I, I wouldn't be like, like I had a question, uh, or I, I talked about this on my podcast, but like, I wouldn't fault anyone for drafting Najee Harris ahead of like Antonio Gibson right now. And I love Antonio Gibson. I think Antonio Gibson has a way of like just an insane ceiling. Um, but if you're looking at range of outcomes, you know, Najee Harris is probably the safer bet of the two because he's likely going to see more receiving work from a projection standpoint at this point than Antonio Gibson. Well, I think Gibson's, you know, I said, I still have Gibson ranked ahead of, of Harris, but from like a, I, that's just because I shoot for ceiling a little bit more uh, than other drafters would, but I, that, that's how highly I think of Najee Harris and, and why I think he's a little bit undervalued right now. Yeah. 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 I was just actually checking out some of the offensive rookie of the year stuff uh, down to plus 900 from plus 1500. So to uh, miss the boat on that one for, for Najee Harris uh, guys there now. Yeah. I mean, famously, you know, like even Le'Veon Bell, who's going to be the comp, right? I mean, he ran for three and a half yards 
per carry as a, a rookie. And he was still very, very useful. I mean, he didn't play the first few games of the season, but he was still extremely useful because of the, the volume there. Okay, so you mentioned above Gibson. And, yeah, so I think he's probably being drafted in a similar sort of range. I mean, are, do you jump him above Jonathan Taylor? I, I think that's where you draw the line. Like, I, and, and to be clear, like, I think there's a very good and talented and large tier of running backs right. in that second round like you can throw joe mixon in there you could throw you could even throw like clyde edwards alaire in there if you wanted to yeah uh you know there's a lot of like those kinds of running backs that all have top three ceilings and and i wouldn't fault anyone for going that direction all i'm saying is that Najee harris belongs in that tier absolutely belongs okay is there any concern about this insano volume that they're going to, I mean, first of all, in this preseason, I was kind of like, yeah, let's ease back a little <laughs> no. bit here. You know, yeah. It's not going to be injured before we even start the season. There's been some research that rookies, you know, we think of these old guys being the ones who like get injured, but it's actually rookies often have some of the highest injury rates because they're just not used to like the, the grind yeah. of the NFL and everything else. And they haven't like proven themselves as being able to, to withhold the, the punishment. Is there any concern with Harris as someone who, you know, let's see in, in his, in his years there, I mean, he got up to 251 carries, I guess, as, as uh, uh, in his final season, but you know, he's like 200, 117 guy. He wasn't like a Derrick Henry who was rushing the ball 5,000 times a season. Is there any concern? Do we, should we even care whether or not he can, he can hold up to like 300 touches in an NFL season? I don't, I don't, I'm not that concerned. If anything, I'd be more concerned about like a Javante Williams or something because he did yeah. split the backfield a little bit more at Carolina. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not overly concerned. Like if that moves the needle enough for, for you to switch and put like Joe Mixon ahead of Najee Harris or, or what have, I mean, I have Mixon ahead of Najee Harris too, but you know, in that tier, if you want to like shift them around in that tier because of something like that, sure, go ahead. But I, you know, I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. Okay, cool. All right, let's uh, move on to the next bullet prediction. Brian Edwards finishing. Brian Edwards, yeah, that's how you get the clicks. You talk about Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards will finish as a top 36 wide receiver. Okay, so here's my one thing about this, okay? I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's perfectly fine, but uh, I mean, can we dream a little? Number one. And number two, like if someone finishes in that 30 to 36 range, depending upon like how many games they play in a season, obviously if you have a guy who played like 12 games, you could be a useful person if you still finish as in, in that range. But if you played 16 games and you finish as wide receiver 35, like do, does it matter? Not really. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that it does. I mean, okay. like it, it does to a degree. I mean, obviously he, he would, he would far exceed ADP if he's able to do something like that. And, and there's, there's plenty of leagues where the depth, that depth does matter. You know, if you're playing it with a lot of flex spots, et cetera, et cetera, uh, where it matters a little bit more. Um, and, and having, you know, I'm a believer that if you're draft, you, you draft players who can appreciate value and just in general. And so if you're getting some sort of appreciation in Brian Edwards, you can still throw them into a trade and do a two for one and, and upgrade your, your starting roster. So, you know, yes. I mean, I agree with you a top 36 season, you know, if he's, if he's wide receiver 36, is the, is he like winning you a fantasy championship? No, probably not. This is more yeah. so to say that Brian Edwards right now, uh, you know, I've done a lot of research on what happens to rookie running backs and wide receivers who don't do very well their, their rookie season, regardless of injury. Um, and it's not good. Uh, you know, players who are good today in the NFL, who are veterans, who are, you know, elite at their positions in fantasy football, 
were almost always elite during their rookie campaigns, which was one of the reasons why, like DJ Chark, when he broke out, uh, it was it was an anomaly. It was not. It was not. Yeah, that was wild. He, he basically did nothing as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't happen very often. So that's working against Brian Edwards. Um, but I don't know if you heard Kevin, but uh, the the Raiders think that they have another Terrell Owens or Randy Moss in Brian Edwards. So yeah. Let's just buy I mean, until until Jerry Rice is thrown in there, I can't. I can't. I can't buy yeah. it. If it's if it's a combination of those three. Now, can we can we get bold here also and just say Brian Edwards will outscore Henry Ruggs? How about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's sort of like embedded in this take for sure, because, okay. uh, you know, and I, I, look, uh, the, the thing is my, my prospect model, any prospect model that's trying to predict the fantasy football future is generally going to input draft capital matters less at the wide receiver position than it does the running back position. Um, and, but even still, it matters to some degree. Brian Edwards was picked uh, 81st overall two years ago. So two, two drafts ago, Henry Ruggs in that same draft was, was drafted 12th overall in my model. Ruggs was better than Brian Edwards, but not by much. It really was not that far off. Edwards came in and entered the NFL at a really young age. He broke out really, really, he broke out at like 18 years old, like, like low 18s, maybe even like it was, it was just crazy how, how young he was. Uh, He had good production. Um, And and so I, you know, I, I entered that draft thing that Brian Edwards was a very good prospect. Um, and so I don't want to like lose sight of that totally. And then you have John Gruden confirming my priors. So yeah, I'm going to throw this all together and say, this is in his range of outcomes. This is possible. Um, you know, will it, will Brian Edwards win you your league? Probably not. Is he someone who I think can appreciate in value though? Absolutely. All right. This is, yeah. Okay. I like this. Of course, the last, I think last year I I was making fun of you for saying uh, Logan for including Logan Thomas in this in this thing, and then boom, look what happened there. So you know, never know. You never know what can happen. Uh, don't listen to me. That's the key. Uh, okay, so Javante Williams be a top ten running back during the second half of the season. I mean, it's a little bit spicier than what we've already discussed, but I don't think we need to go into that too much after we mm-hmm. talk a lot about Williams. Okay, CD Lamb will finish the top five wide receiver. Okay, so my so here's my thing with CD Lamb. Yeah, like I think I I, I don't mind this in you know like as a standalone sort of thing but he's getting pretty popular here like yeah, i'm seeing him popular. in some drafts like he's he's almost going at the same exact point as justin jefferson and i can't do that right like i can't right. like i'm so much higher on justin jefferson or i see so many paths to potentially being maybe even the number one overall receiver in fantasy possible like it's there's some just some outside range of possibility there then for someone like cd lamb just because of cooper and other issues there um and also projections have not been as good when i've tried to project lamb because it's hard to get his target share too high unless you're assuming those guys are really going to fade away so how do you think about all those things together and just like that like again the practical implications of where you're going to draft him when above him right now we're talking about justin justin jefferson aj brown dk metcalf those sort of guys yeah, you know, there's a lot of projecting that has to happen in order for something like this to happen. And I haven't I haven't drafted as much CD Lamb as I would like in redraft just because the cost has gone up so much. So right. I'm with you totally. You know, I, there's just so many locked in guys in that range with 25% plus uh, target shares. It's like, right, let, let's not get out of hand here. Not only that, if you want to play even devil's, devil's advocate even more uh, with CD Lamb, you know, I have it in this article that he averaged 17.1 PPR points per game as a rookie before Dak Prescott got hurt. Uh, he was top 15 among wide receivers before Dak Prescott got hurt. Let's keep in mind, Dak Prescott was pacing to throw more pass attempts than any other quarterback in NFL history last year. And we can't just assume right. that's going to happen again this year. So 
part of this is that I do think that there's a chance. I mean, I, I think, I think CD lamb right now is probably the most talented wide receiver on that team. Um, and so if you are buying into the talent side, uh, it's not as hard to envision him seeing a slightly higher target share than what you might initially project. Right. And so yeah. then on top of that, if the Cowboys are indeed not necessarily as pass heavy as they were last year, um, but they still continue to be fairly pass heavy and then touchdown variance is on CD Lamb's side a little bit. Um, you know, you can start to get into that range. You can start to get in that top five to top 10 range. I do think though, as you're drafting right now, like I have CD Lamb as like wide receiver 10 or something like that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but again, that's in a range where like, I I'm totally cool with drafting like Terry McLaurin over CD lamb, but I don't think that you sh- I, like CD lamb is closer to that tier than he is the Justin Jefferson tier. Right. Um, right. So right. there's a lot of things that, that, you know, there's a lot of ways where he can't and won't, um, you know, finish where, you know, and, and underperform ADP uh, there's, there's an absolute chance that that happens. Um, but I also think that we have to, you know, in a bold predictions article in a bold predictions setting uh, you're looking at range of outcomes here. And I do think that, you know, not only that, but Amari Cooper, number one, hasn't been the healthiest wide receiver in the league since he's entered the league. Number two, he's already had an injury uh, in, in the preseason uh, and, and before the season starts. So, um, you know, there, there are some things, some things like that that are going CD Lamb's favor. Um, and I also just wanted to take a stand and say, hey, guys, I really like CD Lamb. I think he's very good. Now, CD Lamb, was he your number one receiver prospect coming out last year? He and was does that pro- matter? Does that matter? Yeah. Like, how um, much is that factoring into this? Like, you, you, like you say, like, how much is that versus what he did in his rookie year, uh, which was obviously awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was, it was good. But how much does, like, that, pre, does that pre-NFL evaluation still matter going into your second season? Just this Maybe it's more of a general thing, but he was your number one guy, right? Yeah. yeah so I had Lamb, Judy, Jefferson as my top three. Um, yeah. And, and obviously Jefferson, I think, at this point is the clear one. But yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it matters to some degree. I mean, you can look at uh, when, when you look at sophomore breakouts, there is some tie to their production profiles and how good they were in college. But I think that there's a little bit of a um, like a, a, an amplification. Uh, that's the wrong word. But they're, they're, they're sort of like a, you're, you're doubling some some stuff while looking at that. Right. Because yeah. breakout wide receivers in year two are generally going to be just better wide receivers and better wide receivers are generally guys who are more productive in college. So you're sort of double counting that in a way, Um, but it doesn't hurt. You know, you have that backbone. I would, I feel a lot more confident. Let's say that a guy like CD lamb uh, who had a good rookie season. um, You know, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who had a good rookie season, who didn't have the best production profile in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would feel more confident, even, even in hindsight, like Terry McLaurin, right. He had a, a, a poor production profile, I didn't like him that much as a, as a prospect because of that. In hindsight, I now know that it was system related in Ohio state and all that kind of stuff, but regardless, it was all Dwayne Haskins fault. Yeah. Right. But regardless, <laughs> you know, heading into year two, you know, I, I adjusted completely with Terry McLaurin and I was like, yeah, I'm getting Terry McLaurin. He's great, et cetera, et cetera. But realistically, I'm going to feel more confident in a guy who has a better baseline as a prospect than otherwise. Okay. So next on here, Antonio Brown will outscore Brandon Ayuk. So let me, I'm going to start with the Ayuk side of this because it's a tough one, even for me, because a lot of the stuff that I'm, that I'm putting in is like flashing. This guy is like a break is your breakout sort of second year receiver. You want to be targeting. Um, Yeah. You know, Samuel and Kittle weren't 
that involved when he was putting up these big numbers. But I think for any rookie in any circumstance to be putting up the numbers that he was putting up is pretty strong. He's kind of the down the field guy. He was getting a lot of high value targets in the middle of the field and then also near the end zone. Uh, Tape grinders like, you know, your Matt Harmon loves, loves him and loves what he's doing there. So maybe we'll talk about this rookie QB thing first. And then this is one of the things I want to talk about. Like, obviously you don't necessarily want a rookie QB versus that same QB once they've developed and matured and this and that. But like, if this wasn't Brandon Ayuk, let's say this was a guy who was established, right? Let's say this was, uh, I don't know, say it was DeAndre Hopkins, right? And he, and he was in the situation. How would we be with, would people be dropping him in a similar manner to we drop an unknown wide receiver because of these things that are happening on the periphery. Whereas Okay, I'm kind of rambling here, but I always think about these receivers and more like maybe we should think more about talent than situation in a lot of cases, because like the talented guys just rise to the top and kind of find a way to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, here's the counter argument, because I've thought about this so much over the offseason, yeah. because <laughs> okay. I agree and, and so much about Ayuk and the talent side and, and him as a player. My, my argument against that, that that I've sort of rationalized in my brain is you're also for when, when you, the opportunity cost with drafting Brandon Ayuk is other very talented wide receivers. Right? right. So, so yes, I agree that like he's talented and, but, but there's a cost in getting him the same, like a, a perfect example this year is Allen Robinson, who we know is a stud. We know factually he's a stud. I'm below the market a little bit. I mean, I still have him as like a friend, like high end wide receiver too, but not, I mean, people have had him They're They're saying, Oh, He's got Justin Fields now. Like he's going to be a top five wide receiver because he's the best quarterback that he's ever played with and, and all that. Uh, but what history has told us is that that's not the best bet to make. I mean, we've had 29 rookie quarterbacks over the last decade see more than half of their team's uh, pass attempts. I mean, it's 300 or more pass attempts was the, was the threshold I used, but it's about half. Um, and, and of those 29, only three of them produced a wide receiver one in fantasy football. And then on top of that, None of them produced two relevant fantasy football pass catchers, whether it's two wide receivers. The best one was Andrew Luck, who had Reggie Wayne and T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Wayne was a wide receiver one. T.Y. Hilton was wide receiver 40. That's in cumulative. I mean, if you look at it on points per game, T.Y. Hilton was like wide receiver 36, but we've already talked about how that doesn't matter anyway. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you look at these quarterbacks, they're not producing more than one relevant pass catcher. Uh, maybe Trey Lance bucks that trend. But I'm also just drafting Trey Lance to capture that, number one. Uh, you know, if, 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 if Trey Lance is that good, I'll have a lot of Trey Lance. So I'm still winning out, right? That's the game theory component of this. Um, but then on top of that, uh, San Francisco has been a run-heavy team with Kyle Shanahan, as we know. Trey Lance is a mobile quarterback uh, who uh, – I, I did a study this offseason that showed that mobile quarterbacks are not good for their pass catchers, mostly because they bring forth a run-heavy scheme, Right. Um, and, and not only that, I mean, there, there are going to be some outliers that exist, of course, but generally speaking, uh, pass catchers on mobile quarterback teams, uh, it, it's not great. Uh, and then on top of that, San Francisco, when you're looking at team win totals to, to project schedule, they have the easiest schedule in the league. Um, maybe that's a plus, but it could also just play into the fact that there's not going to be that much volume in the passing attack. And so I agree with everything that you're saying with Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I, I think that he's a very good talent. And I think that people who are overemphasizing he did this without George Kittle and Debo Samuel last year are missing the point because he was a rookie wide receiver doing that, which is incredibly impressive. But I would say 
the easiest way to rationalize it is to say, okay, well now I'm drafting Brandon Ayuk and like in, in best ball drafts right now, like wide receiver 20 and around that range, there are very good established high upside wide receivers that are also being drafted. And so, um, you know, because of that, I'm probably more out than in on Ayuk, but I'm at least recognizing with this bold prediction that Ayuk has a lower floor than I think people see, but also a, a high ceiling. Like there's just a high wide range of outcomes. And like I've been approaching the other bold predictions in this piece, uh, I'm just looking at the lower range for Brandon Ayuk. Okay, give me a, a second year breakout uh, take here. So like in this sort of range, we have T Higgins, Ayuk, Claypool, and Judy are maybe a little bit later from, from there. Um, where, where, I guess specifically for, for Ayuk versus these guys, like h- how would you think about, about those guys? Or are all those guys so similar that you're talking about like pivoting to not necessarily another breakout candidate, but one of the other, like you said, more established guys in that range? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point and sort of what I'm saying is that there's so many alternatives in this because we, we both have done research and we, I, I love that we like we've both done like breakout wide receiver and running back research and generally saw the exact same things in the data. Yeah. And one of those being that we know that second year wide receivers are awesome. Like that's like like you want to target these guys. And so if you want to target if you're doing a lot of drafts, if you're in like 10 plus leagues, even, uh, you know, you want to diversify in some way and get a lot of these guys. But I, I would say given the situations for some of the other players uh, and the cost associated with some of those other players, I, I like the values of the other three guys you just mentioned uh, more than Brandon Ayuk. Now I think I have Ayuk ranked ahead of like Judy, um, but I, I'm very, very high on Claypool. So it's a little bit different. Um, and I think yeah. T Higgins right now is just set up in a really good spot. He's just been T Higgins has just been undervalued the entire draft season and off season because of Jamar chase. But um, so, be, you know, because of that, I, I'd still be drafting the other three guys, where they're being drafted more than Ayuk, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily just fading Ayuk. Yeah, yeah. God, T. T Higgins is one of these situations where I feel like this year, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm like uh, ignoring what's going on uh, that doesn't fit my, my mold here. But T. Higgins is no one, T. Higgins and no one of these guys are just like, man, like everything seems to be breaking in the wrong direction where I'm not going to be able to get them as cheaply as I was yeah. hoping to versus like now that Jamar Chase like forgot how to catch the ball that everyone's everyone's off of him and, and T Higgins is, is moving up there. Right. Okay. All right. I'm going to skip the Antonio Brown side of this thing. Uh, and just, I'm going to move on to Devonte Smith will be the lead. will lead rookie wide receivers in fantasy points scored. Okay. So now, now we're talking about Jamar Chase here, right? Because he is second in ADP behind chase right now if i'm looking at chase it looks like chase is maybe why in the mid 20s early 20s for adp and then where where is smith here sorry i should have already had this look but i mean okay smith is a lot 40-ish maybe yeah 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 all right give it to me yeah so concern being maybe volume but like volume might be a little bit of concern on that team yeah so to be fair i wrote this before jamar chase completely uh you know just (laughs) poop the bed on that in that preseason game yeah uh, those 10 so those 10 a, those 10 routes that he ran yeah, yeah everything exactly. we need to know about him yeah exactly so th- this was also i mean this was before you know there was an even wider gap in adp between Devontae right. smith and jamar chase not only that but Devontae smith you know throughout the offseason has been like banged up and i've been gobbling up that the, the discount there i mean here's the bottom line jamar chase one of the best prospects in my model dates back to 2006 he's like a top eight prospect uh that my model has ever seen 99th percentile guy Devontae Smith is a 98th percentile guy. I mean, Devontae Smith is still very, very good. I mean, there's some things that we all talked about during the draft process about size and about how he's not an early declare and these signals that 
don't necessarily point to Devontae Smith being uh, a stud at the next level, but there's so much good. Well, sorry about that. No worries. Um, so there, there's so much good about uh, what's going on with uh, uh, there, there's so, so much good that's, that surrounds uh, that profile in general uh, for Devonte Smith. So uh, anyway, so the way that I see this is Smith right now is going in the middle rounds of drafts uh, and he's the wide receiver one being drafted from his team. And there's no other pass catchers other than Dallas Goddard, but no other wide receiver pass catchers being drafted around him. Now I, I did studies over the offseason that looked at, you know, you want RB ones by team RB ones by ADP. You want team wide receiver ones by ADP uh, because they generally outperform expectation more than the alternative, a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, you know, an RB two, that's sort of where the, the ambiguous RB one theory spawned from uh, wide receiver ones do way better than team wide receiver twos. So, you know, you have a team wide receiver two on a team like Pittsburgh uh, I'm not saying that Chase Claypool should be, uh, you know, ranked below Devontae Smith, but a, a wide receiver two has generally not been as good of a bet as a wide receiver one on a different team and usually a worse team because I'm looking at middle round players here. So with Devontae Smith, he's alone in those middle rounds. Those guys hit at an even higher rate. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're the wide receiver ones in their teams. They're alone there. There's no other alternatives in that offense. They probably are projected for a decent sized target share. And I think that's what we're looking at with Devontae Smith this year, where I, I, I mean, would you be shocked if Devontae Smith is a higher target, much higher target share than Jamar Chase? I understand that quarterback play comes into play here. And we say, okay, Joe Burrow is probably a little bit better than not a little bit, but probably better as a passer than Jalen Hurts. And then on top of that, Zach Taylor's offenses have been so pass heavy uh, through the, since he got there uh, that, that we know that there's going to be volume in that offense, but there's also way more competition for Jamar Chase. Um, so I could see a scenario where Devontae Smith hits like a 24% target share and Jamar Chase hits a 19% target share. And that gap is more than enough to make up for that, that lack of volume in the Philly offense versus the Cincinnati offense. And that's why the bold prediction exists. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also one of those situations where I think often we have like the built in assumption is the high volume in Cincinnati and the low volume in uh, for Philly. So like, take that right like take take that discount that you're getting because then if it if it happens to not like if you have the if you have the 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 most conservative or least beneficial assumption built into someone's price then it looks pretty good and um yeah i also think for for devonte smith which is interesting i also he was second in my prospect model too like way above anyone else and i do think there's an interesting thing with him because of the weight and some other stuff like if he would have come out when he should have come out probably as a, as an early declare, I mean, he would have looked pretty good, right? He would have looked pretty good and he wouldn't have had yeah. that, that, that ding against him. And it's one of those situations where it was kind of strange that that didn't end up happening. Uh, but two guys were already going from, from Alabama that year. All right. So Tyler Higby and Dallas Goddard will finish outside the top 12 at tight end. Um, maybe talk about tight end a little bit generally in this kind of range, you know, people have been, not wanting to get close to the mid round ish or late mid round sort of tight ends in the past. Is it just one of those situations where you feel like those two particular guys are, are, are in a bad situation or maybe kind of fading these middling guys that some people can get a little too excited about? A little bit of both. Um, you know, if you look at uh, historical ADP at the tight end position, uh, I did a study a few years ago. So this data is a little bit outdated. 
Um, but if you look at top 12 tight ends in preseason expectation ADP versus postseason result, the uh, the the R squared is literally zero uh, from, from like this is from like 2011 to 2018 ish or so. Uh, there's just no correlation because we've seen so many late round, you know, like low end tight end one, high end tight end two type seasons break out um, that it just really screws up the correlation. But when you look at the correlation and you like cut out the middle round guys, it, it's very clear that the middle round guys are the ones who are lowering that R squared value essentially. Um, and so then if you, if you look at uh, I, again, I did studies on both breakout running backs, breakout wide receivers. I already alluded to like the wide receiver ones you want to draft the team RB ones you want to draft. Uh, the other thing that I found with tight ends, if you can find tight ends who are the first pass catcher on their team being drafted by ADP, their hit rates are, are pretty good. Um, we've only had eight of them in the middle rounds over the last uh, decade. Uh, and Darren Waller was one actually last year. And obviously we know that that, that panned out. I think it all makes sense you know, intuitively, because these guys are the first pass catchers being drafted from their team, which means that they probably are going to be in store for a pretty high target share. Right. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, when you look at like a, they're not quite in the middle rounds, but like a Mark Andrews or a TJ Hawkinson, that should give you a little bit of, of, of hope and feeling good about drafting those guys in like round five, even though that wasn't the, the subset of tight ends that I was looking at in the study. Uh, the fact that they are the first pass catchers being drafted from their team is a good sign. Uh, but we don't see that with both Tyler Higby and Dallas Goddard. And over the last 10 years, um, we've seen 55 tight ends get selected in round six through nine. Um, and they weren't the, the top pass catcher on their team. And of those 55, only three of them exceeded ADP expectation uh, by a significant number of points. They were there. Only three of them were like true breakouts. And so Tyler Higby, I understand the, the argument for him. I mean, he was a beast without Gerald Everett. Uh, over, he has been a beast without Gerald Everett over the last couple of years. I think there's some noise in that split, but even still, it's something that, you know, we can get excited about and at least latch on to and say he has a high ceiling, but I also think he has a low floor, right? Uh, and then Dallas Goddard has had really, I mean, last year, Goddard had three top 12 performances at the tight end position, uh, and, and they came, and two of them came when Zach Ertz was out. Um, and so with Zach Ertz sticking around, that really dampens the, the opportunity and the potential for Dallas Goddard this year. So th- that's why those, those two tight ends specifically were called out. All right. Well, I'm totally in agreement with that. And if I'm sounding a little bit different right now, I just realized that I don't think my microphone was in for, I think I was going off computer speakers. Do I sound different or not? Let me, let me sound check. good. Okay. All right. So, so in, in case there was any of that going before. on before. Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm with that. I'm kind of generally skipping over those guys too. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this next one because Gus Edwards will outscore Damian Harris because I, I, I need someone to check the fact that like I've had this, negative feeling about Damian Harris and the more people that got excited about him, the more I think I may have lost my objectivity with, with hating on Damian Harris. And I'm just, so, so, so you're also putting him on the anti side of this equation. So how much is this about Gus Edwards or how much is this about Damian Harris who, you know, some people, people I respect like Josh Norris have pointed him out as like, this is the guy that you want to be targeting to, to jump up for there. I, I just don't see the path with all of these guys in, in New England, but maybe he really is locked into that level. It's just, it's tough for me to, to, to see. Yeah. I mean, look, I I've been really against Damian Harris all off season. I, I get questions yeah. about Harris, like every other week for my mailbag episode. And every time, like, I mean, I've answered it a couple of times, but you need receiving volume in fantasy football to be relevant at the running back position. Uh, you know, since uh, if you look at, at top 10 <clears throat> PPR running backs over the last decade, 
the only running back with a target share that was worse than what Damian Harris had last year, which was like 2.1% per game. Uh, it was LeGarrette Blunt, you know, another Patriots running back, but it took him 18 touchdowns right. to get to that point, to be a top 10 running back. And so, you know, if I will say this about Damian Harris, if James White, you know, I, I feel like there's sort of like an anchoring effect and anchoring bias going on with Damian Harris right now, because James White was not a lock to go back to new England at one point. And, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and when that was the case, yeah, there was a lot more upside for Damian Harris, but then James White signs back with New England, which was somewhat of a surprise. I think a lot of people thought he was going to go to like Tampa Bay and play that Gio Bernard role. And so James White goes back to New England. And everyone's like, no, I still love Damian Harris. And it's like, why? James White is consistently, James White has seen 50 plus targets in each of the last six seasons. Like he, he is going to be the pass catching back in that offense. And now you've seen like JJ Taylor do well. And like Sony Michelle is catching more passes out of the backfield. Yeah, and, and they got, they got a lot of dudes over there. They got a lot, they of got dudes. a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes. And it's, it's really difficult for me to bank on that uh, and say Damian Harris, because the way that Damian Harris is going to score fantasy points is he's either going to see more uh, work through the air, or he's going to see a lot of rushing touchdowns. And maybe he sees a lot of rushing touchdowns, but are we that excited about the new England offense to be like a top half offense in the league from a scoring perspective? I mean, maybe it can happen, but it's not like we're talking Gus Edwards and the Ravens offense, right? The Ravens offense uh, has been one of the best, if not the best over the last couple of years in the regular season, they're in a run first, Uh, you know, both of these teams are run heavy, but I think that when we just like group teams up and say they're run heavy teams, we're sort of ignoring the fact that like, like, this, the whole Baltimore narrative over the offseason has driven me absolutely nuts because they go out and they get Rashad Bateman. They go out and they get Sammy Watkins. And now everyone's like, they're going to throw the ball more. And I'm like, yeah, they'll probably throw the ball more. Well, maybe not now because these guys keep getting hurt. But yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll throw the ball more. But I don't think you guys realize how little they were throwing the ball in the first place. Like throwing the ball more will still make them probably the most run heavy team in football still like Greg Roman has a history of it. You, you, you should do that because Lamar Jackson running the football is one of the most efficient plays in football. Right. And so I, I don't think Baltimore is going to like change their identity because they got Rashad Bateman in the first round and they signed 55 year old Sammy Watkins. Right. Like it's just, it's just not something that, that to me makes a lot of sense. And then there's a lot of talk already. And if you look over the last couple of years, since Greg Roman became offensive coordinator, uh, no team has a lowest max running back rush share in a single game than the Baltimore Ravens do. Uh, uh, or sorry, that's snap share. Actually, it's rush share and snap share. So essentially what that shows you and tells you is that no matter what, this Baltimore Ravens backfield hasn't been just giving work to one running back. And so Gus Edwards being the, R- the clear-cut RB2 in that offense, not only that, Gus Edwards uh, had the same number of uh, goal line touches as J.K. Dobbins did when Mark Ingram started to become inactive last year. So there's a lot to like, actually, I think, about Gus Edwards to exceed ADP. You know, I don't know how much work he's going to see as a receiver, but how to me, Gus Edwards is going to score points in almost an identical way as Damian Harris will this year. It's, it's a very comparable situation, but then on top of that, you have a much more attractive uh, situation in general in Baltimore than you do in New England. So I, I like in my rankings, I have these guys basically like back to back, but in ADP, there's a much, much wider gap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gus Edwards, you know, put a little money behind him, right? The two year, they signed him to the two year, $10 million contract. So it's not like he's just going to completely fade away with JK Dobbins. And again, with Harris, it's like, 
third round running back from a couple of years ago. I just don't understand how, how confident we can be that this guy is locked in. I mean, it's fewer than 800 total yards he's put up in his entire career for through two seasons and they have the first round running back Michelle they have James White they have now a fourth round running back in Ramondre Stevenson who looks pretty good they have Taylor they have, they have they have too much too much going on in there so I'm glad to hear that you are with me because I was going a little insane not being able to figure out like why I was not not just low like relative to people but extremely low on on Damian Harris so I'm, I'll, I'll take you I'll take your your confirmation on that uh, sticking with the Patriots, Jacoby Myers will finish the top 30 wide receiver. I like it. We're getting to the thirties here. We're getting, we're getting some relevance here. Um, so, so give me, give me the thing here. And what does this say about Aguilar? What does it say about, uh, Kendrick Bourne? What does it say about who's going to be a starting quarterback? Does all that stuff matter as part of this? Um, I don't think it really matters that much just because we saw last year Cam Newton target Jacoby Myers at such a heavy rate. And, and the, the yeah. main argument with Myers, I think, for this bold prediction is that the thing that's stickiest year over year statistically, as we know, is volume. And last year uh, in in limited, I mean, he didn't play a full 16 game schedule. Um, Myers had 19% of new England's targets on a per game basis. His target share was 24% uh, over 24%. And then uh, if you look at, at what he did when he came back after missing a couple of games from week seven on, he had a 31.3% target share. Uh, He's already doing really well in the preseason. Uh, there's beat writers are saying that he's the clear cut wide receiver one on that team. Um, and so there's just a lot working in his favor. I don't think that this is just like some like out of nowhere thing either, because generally when we see breakout wide receivers, they usually have some sort of backbone in terms of target share the previous season. Um, and Jacoby Myers has that. And so I'm not afraid of Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. You know, I think Johnny Smith is a, a decent late round target, but obviously that tight end group is banged up right now. Um, and so I think Jacoby Myers is just set up to have a pretty decent year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not really costing a whole hell of a lot here uh, in the seventies, maybe 60s, 70s, as far as wide receiver. Um, the next guy that you mentioned here is uh, Pittman outscoring Michael Pittman outscoring DJ Chark. Maybe we'll look at the Pittman side of this again. He's, he's pretty late here, but he didn't do too much as a rookie. I mean, he wasn't completely absent. Like we talked about someone like Chark was who then ended up uh, busting forward, but didn't do a whole hell of a lot. So I think like on a, it makes sense that when you place him up against those other potential second round breakout uh, breakouts that he's clearly on the downside, but he's like way on the downside ADP wise. So how much of this is like a pricing sort of thing versus who Pittman is and what his potential is? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, it makes sense that of the second-year potential breakouts or second-year wide receivers across the league that Pittman would, shouldn't be close to, like, where Judy is even, uh, you know, just given what we saw yeah. year one. But down the stretch, I mean, Pittman was not terrible, uh, and he had that target share backbone to some degree. I mean, it wasn't as strong as what we typically see from uh, from breakout wide receivers. You know, the study that I did, I think the average target share the year before the breakout was closer to like 15 or 16%. And Michael Pittman's last year, I think was like 10 or 11%. So yeah, wasn't quite there, but a lot of the things that I look for, for breakouts and what I did in that study, Michael Pittman fits. I mean, he's the first pass catcher being drafted from the Colts. That's a plus. Uh, he's a second year wide receiver, which we know they break out at a, a much more substantial rate uh, than other year uh, wide receivers do. He's part of this ambiguous wide receiver group where there's not a clear cut one. 
Uh, you know, there's there's just not a lot. There's there's no one being drafted ahead of him. Uh, there's there's just not a stud, and he could have the potential to be that stud. Um, and then, like I said, his target share wasn't totally non-existent last year. It was still, you know, there's still something when he was healthy. So, um, you know, I, I think Pittman is actually uh, one of the the best later roundish wide receivers that you can target right now. Uh, and then I'm comparing him to DJ Chark just because the things I talked about earlier with rookie quarterbacks, the fact that I don't think that we can lock in DJ Chark as like the wide receiver one on that team even right now. Uh, I, I just have never been that big of a, of a Chark guy in general. And he's he's really produced a lot uh, in a short period of time in the NFL. There's like a six week stretch where he was, uh, or like a six to 10 week stretch where he was really good. Um, but he's, he's very boomer bust. And, and with, with this situation, um, with the competition there, I just think that he's not nearly as good of a bet as someone like Michael Pittman at cost. Yeah. You know, it's weird with, with Chark the other day we were doing this draft uh, as PFF draft and, I mean, for some reason I took him just because he fell so far, but then I immediately afterwards was like, I don't know why I did that. Like it's one of those yeah, situations right. where maybe that's happening to people. You just like feel compelled to take him at some point because he was, I mean, I don't know, was he going in the twenties earlier this year? I'm trying to think of where he was uh, at his highest point, but he's starting to fall further yeah. and further here. I mean, where, maybe you can help me with that. Like where would DJ Chark be a good pick? Um, like I can I think of guys who are going after him right now. So he is, I see he's around this 40 range. He may be going even lower, like Brandon Cooks, Devontae Smith, uh, Michael Hardman, Jarvis Landry, Curtis Samuel, Will Fuller. Like, I don't know if I take him above any of these guys, Elijah Moore. So I'm like, maybe he gets all the way down into like in, in this kind of like almost irrelevant zone at this point. But he has this name, you know, kind of a little bit of a name brand thing going on there, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he belongs in that tier. Like, I have him in the yeah. 40s in my rankings. So, I think he, like, belongs there. But, again, like, you'll find people who are drafting him a lot sooner than that. And right, like you right. said, earlier this offseason, and even, like, not that long ago, he was being drafted, like, in the low, in the high 20s, right? Like, yeah, he, he yeah. was still being drafted as, like, a firm wide receiver three. But now it's just, it's one of those things where like, I wouldn't be shocked if Marvin Jones is the wide receiver one in points per game on that team, or even LaVisca Chenault or whoever. I mean, it's just, it's not a team that I'm like, I, like, I don't have a strong stance because they're not costly. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's not a passing attack that I am going to heavily, heavily invest in. Yeah. And when, when Urban Meyer starts Gardner Minshew week one, also yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, 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 forget that it's an open, it's an open competition over there. Um, God, for some reason, like, okay, I normally don't like to rail on these coaches, but for some reason, this whole Urban Meyer thing with the Trevor oh. Lawrence, it's just like, like, it's I don't awful. get like, <laughs> you're trying to teach your team a lesson about you have to earn something, but then you're also teaching them a lesson that you're putting on this fake competition. Yeah. So like, right. they're like, they're, are they dumb? Do you think they're dumb and they don't know what's going on? But anyway, right, anyway. right. You're, you're, you, you are sort of like speaking to your team and saying like, I I'm smarter than everyone. And, and you guys just don't like, like they're not stupid. They know what's going on. And I think it's just very clear that that's all happening because they're trying to shop mid June. Yeah, I, I guess it just, it does. It seems like one of these, uh, you know, maybe college guy, I'm coming in, you know, this is how we do it. Yeah, when the freshman, yeah. when the freshman comes in, we don't just give them the job sort of thing. And it's just like, dude, this yeah. is not, this is not, we're not, this is not college anymore. This is not a 17, 18 year old freshman coming in. Uh, okay. Anyway, so we, we, we made it to the end here. Uh, the super late round tight end breakout will be Donald Parham. Now Parham was a favorite early, early, early before uh, Jared Cook came in and uh, kind of bursted everyone's bubble. And then he basically went, 
a favorite meaning like he was being drafted, you know, yeah. like not like not like he's going in the top 10 yeah. or something like that, but he was being drafted. And yeah, is he, is he even being drafted? Is, is he being drafted? I don't think he is. So number one, give me the case for Parham. Number two, how do you approach this? Like, would you even draft him or are you just targeting him immediately, like after week one or something to potentially scoop up? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that you need to target him in most like home leagues or anything like that. Right. Um, just because there's a lot of good tight ends out there that that are in, uh, you know, in, in like the high end tight end two, mid range tight end two range. But with, with Parham, I mean, he's still relatively young. Uh, I don't know if you were an XFL guy. I was a huge XFL guy, and 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 Parham dominated the XFL for what it's worth. Um, you know, he's a six foot eight behemoth, uh, and people were being scared off of him by a third, what is he, 34 now, 34 year old Jared Cook. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where you're associating a position on uh, the Chargers that lost its top guy in Hunter Henry. Uh, There's not a lot of alternative pass catchers in that offense, just in general. I mean, you got Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, I get it, but Mike Williams is not established. Uh, I mean, I, I don't mind Mike Williams at all. I'm just saying that like, we know that he's not established and we know that he hasn't been able to stay healthy either. Um, and, and, you know, Josh Palmer looks like a, an interesting rookie and an up and comer, but, you know, again, playing the range of outcomes game, uh, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that Parham can, uh, see some, you know, like a, like walk in and see like a 12 to 14% target share this year. Like, I don't think that that would be super shocking. Would that change fantasy football? Would he be a like Logan Thomas from last year? Probably not, but I do think that he's a good red zone threat too. And he has the chance, uh, to take a lot of looks there and, and, you know, score a lot of touchdowns. And that's, what's going to drive a lot of tight end production because we don't see a lot of catches and yards from that position to begin with. So that's really what this is playing off of is that, I mean, he's, he's literally free. Like you said, he's going to be a free agent in most of your leagues. So don't necessarily draft him, but you know, if you see week one that his snap rates really high or he's running a lot of routes and maybe he doesn't produce um, then that's, that's when you know that you can jump on him and, and get him off the waiver wire. Yeah. I guess some of the concern might be like, they're going to run, these three, you know, some three wide receiver stuff that, um, yeah, maybe that Josh Palmer will be involved. The Josh Palmer thing is kind of annoying me a little bit only because, well, maybe because I wasn't that, that big on him anyway, (laughs) but I mean, he caught like four, I mean, he was targeted like four or five times on five yard passes by their third string quarterback or something. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, congratulations. It's not exactly, uh, tearing up this like we should just blow up the draft and put him uh near the top or something so yeah i i can see i can see him moving here and like you mentioned these guys come out of nowhere so why not and it's just fun like it's it's, it's fun to be into yeah. some super athletic dude who can just go out there out of nowhere so why not do exactly. it right exactly yeah, he's, a freak, man. he's a freak right. that's a, look it's just it's just one of those predictions where you know is it likely to happen absolutely not I thought the same thing with Logan Thomas to a degree last year. And look what happened in that, in that bold predictions article. So maybe, maybe Parham will end up being this year's Logan Thomas. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at Palmer here, seven receptions for 39 yards. Come on guys. Let's not, let's, let's, let's not get crazy here. What's going on with Josh, Oh, Josh Palmer. All right, man, that, that wraps it up. Uh, thank you so much, JJ, for spending the time here. Again, check out all of his work over at number fire and fan duel 15 bold predictions, rankings, all that stuff, uh, like I said, ind- indispensable, really, for, for, for everyone that's drafting this weekend. Anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? 
Uh, yeah, the lay round podcast. It's the thing that uh, I'll, yes. I'll be doing. Yeah, doing a lot uh, during the season. I'll do it four episodes a week in season. That starts before week one, so after Labor Day. Uh, but that can be found anywhere podcasts can be found. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll give an additional plug for the lay round podcast uh, for those who haven't listened. If you're number one, you know, get with the program. Number two, very short solo data dense but you know get get in and out get in and out 15 20 minutes something like that depending upon what's going on which is just really easy on a daily basis to to, to listen to and to tap into the mind of one of the best fantasy football analysts out there so again thanks jj for joining me thanks everyone for listening uh have good luck on your fantasy football drafts this weekend and i'll be talking at you guys again next week 